In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey everybody, thanks for listening to another episode of Oil & Gas HSE, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. And thanks to the show's sponsor today, Technip FMC. Technip FMC is a leading technology provider to the traditional and new energy industries, delivering fully integrated projects, products, and services with their proprietary technologies and comprehensive solutions. Technip FMC is helping their clients to support their energy transition ambitions by developing new energy resources and reducing carbon intensity. Tell them thank you for sponsoring the show by going to their website at technapefmc.com. Check out their iComplete system that optimizes fracking operations with 30% lower costs and also see how their trademarked emission can give operators and producers real-time monitoring and control to reduce flaring while increasing production. Technip FMC, the future of the energy industry. Today, my guest is Catherine Rehias Boyd. I think you go by Kathy. Is that right? That's right, Russell. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you. Thanks for coming on the show. You bet. Kathy, I'm used to being introduced for speeches and that sort of thing. And usually after I hear my introduction, I'll get up and thank the speaker for introducing me. And I'll say, you read that exactly as I wrote it. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'll say, my only regret is, is I wish my parents weren't in the audience today because dad would be so proud and mom probably would believe every word of it. But (laughs) you have, and I think this comes from your website, you have a very impressive bio here. And usually I say, you know, to the guest, tell us a little bit about yourself. But this is so impressive. I'm going to read it like I was introducing you as the speaker. Catherine Rehice Boyd has served as the president of the Western States Petroleum Association, that's WSPA, since January 1, 2010. She oversees the trade organization's operations and advocacy in five Western states, California, Arizona, Nevada, Washington, and Oregon. Over her 31-year career at WSPA, Ms. Rehice Boyd has held a variety of leadership roles, including a 2003 appointment as Chief of Staff and subsequent promotions to Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer. As part of her 37 years of experience in the oil industry, Ms. Rehice Boyd worked for an environmental consulting firm on various projects before joining Getty Oil and Texaco, working on environmental compliance at the Kern River Field in Bakersfield, California. Currently manages a broad range of association activities, including legislative and regulatory issues associated with transportation fuels policy, air and water quality, climate change, renewable fuels and alternative energy issues, crude oil and natural gas production, and many other issues in the WSPA's five states and beyond those borders into Canada and abroad. In 2004, Ms. Rehice Boyd was appointed by the California Resource Secretary to the California Marine Life Protection Act, that's MLPA, the Blue Ribbon Task Force for MLPA. To an eight-year term, MLPA is charged with protecting ocean resources off the California coastline from Oregon to Mexico. In addition, Ms. Rehice Boyd was appointed to the National Marine Protected Areas Center's Federal Advisory Committee, which recommends strategies to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, and the United States Department of Interior on how to strengthen and protect the nation's systems of marine protected areas. 
Ms. Rehash Boyd is a member of or advisor to a number of climate change policy panels and regulatory agencies in all five WSPA states. 2016, Ms. Rehash Boyd was named Distinguished Woman and Petroleum Advocate of the Year by the California Latino Leadership Institute. Ms. Rehash Boyd received her Bachelor's of Science degree in Natural Resource Management from California Polytechnic State University in San Luis Obispo and pursued postgraduate studies in environmental engineering at the University of Southern California. The Western States Petroleum Association represents major integrated petroleum companies, independent refiners, and oil and gas natural gas producers that explore for, produce, transport, refine, and market petroleum, petroleum products, and natural gas as well as advanced alternative and renewable transportation fuels in the West. On behalf of the industry, WSPA works to encourage public policies that promote socially and environmentally responsible economic growth and prosperity. How did I read that? That was very good, Russell. (laughs) (laughs) I cut down memory lane. (laughs) Well, Kathy, thanks for coming on the podcast. It was great. That about says it all. I'll tell you, I'm actually, I'm very impressed by that. But the reason I wanted to have you on, you know, OGGN, we are a strong advocate for the oil and gas industry, and it seems like you and WSPA are also a strong advocate for it. But I tell you what, where you are, and I think, am I talking to you in California right now? You are, sir. Okay. All right. You got your hands full. We have our hands full, not only in California, but really the West, right? Yeah. What is it they say, you know, whatever happens in California seems to spread its way all the way down and everything. One of the things that you have your hands full is, I guess, your current governor. That's that Gavin Newsom. Correct. Yeah. And so he says he wants to ban gas powered sales by 2035. That's not even good enough for some environmentalists. They say they want to ban them by 2026. And let's start with that because that blueprint's just not going to work, is it? No, I mean, you hit it on the head. I call it energy realism. We seem to lack a little of that in the Western states here. And I just want to start, Russell, by saying, you know, bans and mandates, they just don't work, right? They only end up hurting Californians or wherever they're being portrayed, and they destroy the livelihood of really the tens of thousands of women and men who work in this industry, and many of which serve underserved communities that need these sources of energy and rely on them. And so, you know, any ban or mandate is not, in my opinion, and in our opinion, the right approach to solving any problem. Now, that being said, I think it's fair to say, and I think you would agree, that our industry, we certainly understand the urgency of climate change and all the challenges that are before us. We understand the aspirational goals of the Paris Climate Agreement. We understand the degree threshold. And I think all of us, it's very clear to say that we want a better, cleaner, more inclusive future, just like everybody else. But there is no quick, easy fix to climate change, right? It's an illusion that one industry alone, ours, is responsible for climate change. Simply not true, right? We must work collectively towards a sustainable energy future. And I always talk about the all of the above energy strategy. Like we never in our stock market, right? In our stock portfolio choices, we would never pick only a single portfolio, right? We would have a diversified portfolio 
And that's the same in the energy future. We think an all of the above approach is the right way. We have to understand that oil and gas will be with us for a very long time. That being said, we've got companies investing in all of it, all of the alternative renewable fuels. I don't care if you're talking, Russell, just ethanol blends for gasoline, or you're talking hydrogen, renewable diesel, renewable natural gas. We are in all of it, right? And I think it's also concerning to me that when we only talk about, like in this state, eliminating oil and gas completely, that there is no conversation about what you are trading that for. In California, the debate, as you just noted, going on under the governor's ban of the internal combustion engine, and frankly, his also executive order that eliminates oil and gas production by 2024 completely, ignores the fact that if you do a single technology like electricity, like an electric transportation system, we already know we don't have enough of the rare earth minerals needed. We don't have enough lithium, cobalt, nickel, copper, and who owns them is certainly not the United States, it's China. So are you really just trading your energy independence for dependence on other things that are much more, they are certainly needed for electricity, don't oppose that. But to put all your eggs in that basket is just, in our opinion, irresponsible. And so we don't oppose electric vehicles. We don't oppose diversification. We're in all of it. We have been, you know, people laugh when I talk to the media, Russell, I say, you know, they ask, well, aren't you concerned about the energy transition? And I say, we've been in transition since horse and buggy, right? I mean, it is an exactly. evolution. This is not new to this industry. We are innovators and problem solvers. This is what we do. We make energy better every single day. So let's just give you a sense that this approach that California has taken, in our opinion, is just misguided completely. It's political, and it really doesn't have the right energy realism to really do this right. I mean, it's doable. It's just not doable this way. Well, and the idea that, I mean, unfortunately, it seems like everybody talks about the big, bad oil and gas companies and a couple of things on that. And one I thought was really important that you hit upon a while ago. There's this, you know, this they hold the oil and gas companies out there as the big, bad oil companies. We're talking about, as you said, hundreds of thousands of women and men who work in the oil and gas industry. We're talking about people's livelihoods. We're talking about people's jobs. And on top of that, we're talking about national security, as you said. Yeah, you hit it. I mean, it tremendously frustrates me when we have an industry in the United States ready to produce environmentally sound energy across the nation every single day. And yet what we do in this situation with the invasion of Ukraine, which has now put, you know, energy costs soaring, Europe is completely dependent on Russian oil and gas and trying now to figure out what that looks like. We could be helping in that manner if we had a policy in the United States that allowed for that, let alone the West Coast, which has no policy to allow for that. And yet we will turn around with this national administration and ask places like Venezuela and Saudi Arabia to produce more oil. It's just a hypocrisy to 
turn to countries that particularly don't believe in our moral standards, our ethics, our environmental standards to produce more oil when we could do that in our own backyard, safer than anyone, cleaner than anyone, and bring some energy security to this situation and be able to support our allies and friends who are suffering. And of course, we don't do that. We do the opposite of that. And we eliminate any ability to produce more oil, whether it's a pipeline, whether it's offshore, whether it, you name it, we'll do everything the opposite. And it just saddens me greatly after being in this industry for over 40 years to see that we can't have a inclusive, realistic conversation of what we need to get from A to B. Because as I said, Russell, we can get from A to B. It's just, can we have the conversation that makes sense? And that starts with a realism of the facts. We've got 40 million people in California, right? They drive 36 million internal combustion engines. We're the third largest consumer of transportation fuels in the world as a state. And the only ones in front of us are the United States of America and China. So how in the world? And we have an electricity grid that is not capable of taking on 100% electric transportation system with the governor's ban of 2035 and with you know the environmental community wanting to even advance that. In California, your electrical grid can't even hold up to current needs. Right, exactly, exactly. So it's always this debate, too much, too fast, too little, too slow. And you know, I'm a firm believer that in you know, probably the right answer is in the middle, right? You've got to balance the environment with the economy and certainly social justice, energy justice. Everybody should deserve affordable energy everywhere, anytime, you know, all the time. And, you know, we're not there. And the aggressiveness of these policies are frightening. And the energy costs on really, for the most part, and also for the disadvantaged communities who are trying to survive in today's world. And all these policies that are being debated right now, they, you know, workshop last week was on the blueprint that we started this conversation with, and it's not going anywhere good. So yeah, it's very concerning to me where we are in the debate, how the debate is occurring, the politicizing of the conversation, not diving into the real substance of the issues and the complexity to figure out how to get from A to B, you know, affordably and reliably. I'm very concerned. So, you know, we're not dealing with unintelligent, uneducated people here. You used the word hypocrisy a while ago, and I thought that was a good word. The word I've used is insanity. (laughs) (laughs) But You're in Texas, Russell. You're in Texas. (laughs) Right, right, right. You know, always coming from a sales background for, you know, almost 50 years, you try to put yourself in the place of the other person and see where they're coming from. But I'm just, I'm having a hard time understanding why we can't get to this balance that you're talking about. You know, some of these people, I'd like to run around with a camera for 48 hours and say, okay, you can't use anything that has to do with the oil and gas industry. Right. Because we know what that would look like, right? A blank page. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah. And it would look like third world countries, you know, and you talked about social justice and everything. It's the oil and gas industry that can improve these people's lives and bring them out of poverty. And 
you know, quite frankly, a, another word you could use is words relating to morality. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and what I'm finding is the more the actual people in our industry that are employed by this industry can speak out about what this industry has done for their livelihood, for their lives, for their families. You know, it's just such remarkable stories of how it's really transformed their lives, right? And their livelihoods and their families' livelihoods. And I think the more we have people in the industry actually tell their story, it really is impactful because that's what this is all about, right? And to your point, we make people's lives better, right? We do that every day and yet we're demonized for it, which is just very, very unfair. And I think we've made huge progress. You know, I've been in this business so long that I know how many cleaner burning gasoline specifications we've been through. I know when we took, you know, lead out of gasoline. I know when we took sulfur out of diesel, right? I mean, I remember going around the state of California with the head of the Environmental Protection Agency doing a media event where we held a white hanky at the back of a diesel bus and showed it was completely clean, right? Because we took, we've done so much in that area. So it's, look it, we understand we will continue to make things cleaner and better. That's what we do, right? It's in our DNA to do that. That is not something we shy away from in any stretch of the imagination. So I think if we can embrace the just innovation of this industry and, you know, we have to bring science to the table, right? We have to prove what we say. And so we have been working with universities and institutions to show the state of California a pathway to reach their goals that doesn't destroy the economy. And like I said, it is very doable, Russell. It's just you have to be open to an all of the above strategy versus a single technology that electricity is going to save the day because it frankly is not. No, absolutely it's not. And again, you need oil and gas for electricity. Yeah, that's another thing people forget that that's also, you know, and, and the other, you know, we talked about the ban that the governor has in place. The other unfortunate executive order he has out there is to literally eliminate oil and gas in 2045. When you think about that, we've got right now, we've got ample supplies of oil and gas in the state of California, but we're only using 30% of it right now. And we could increase that dramatically. And the ban that is going on right now for all production, I mean, we haven't gotten permits for drilling in so long, I can't remember. And it is so unfortunate because the only other answer, because there's no pipelines that bring crude oil to California, we're kind of like an energy island, it has to come from imports. And so all we're doing is in this state, all we're doing is increasing the amount we import from places far across the waters, putting them on marine tankers, increasing greenhouse gas emissions to get it here. And, you know, what does California get out of that? less taxes, less revenue, less jobs, less energy independence. It's like, I don't understand what strategy is behind that plan. Well, I have some ideas about that, but I have sponsors for this show. So I can't, even though I am in Texas, I can't say it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you and I understand the problem and I guess we could drone on and on about it. The question is, what are we going to do about it? I heard you say you're beginning to work with some universities to try to help 
educate folks on this. I mean, what else can we do? You know, I think you really, you use the word education, right? That is by far, I think, the first step of the process, right? Because, you know, even when we started talking about how do you actually reduce carbon out of the atmosphere, because it's important, it's an important discussion. And when we started talking about, you know, really, you know, carbon sequestration, utilization, use and sequestration, that technology to capture carbon and either, you know, store it under the ground or find another use for it. You talked three years ago, people didn't even know what it stood for. And so we've made a lot of progress on discussing how important that tool is to mitigate the impacts of climate change. And now there is actual bills moving through the legislature here in California, certainly a lot of talk nationally and internationally about it. And so I think that came from an education of, well, what do you do other than shut down industries and, you know, have nothing? And I think that kind of education is important because those are the tools we need to get from A to B. Now, if you have someone who doesn't support CCUS or, you know, the ability to store carbon, you take that tool off the table. And we have people in California who absolutely pose it. And so if you have no tool to get there, your answer is to eliminate this industry. You're not ready for any other form of energy to take over. You literally just tank the economy and tank every quality of life and livelihood in the state that you have. And so those points have got to be brought forward. Now, it can be an education, Russell. It can be in the form of bills. It can be in the form of bringing things to the ballot for people to understand and, you know, vote their concern. Because a lot of times, as you know, in the legislature, things get voted on that sometimes the really the general public don't even know is happening, right? And so it's all of that. But I think the biggest thing is getting out there talking to people about what the consequences are of these policies. I mean, in California, the price of gasoline is so much higher than the rest of the US, because at least over a dollar twenty of that is climate policies, taxes, fees, all the other things that the state government has decided to place on the pump. They have nothing to do with anything this industry has done or has not done. And so those are consequences that people don't even know are out there or don't understand. And if we don't step up our education, Russell, I don't think they will, because why would they? I mean, we've got to bring these things to the forefront so we can make more informed decisions about where we go from here. Yeah, I think that's got to be the goal of organizations like yours. It's got to be the goal of organizations like API and other industry trade associations and that sort of thing. And we've got to do a better job of getting our message across. Yeah, and it's tough. I mean, because why we have to bring the science and facts to the table. It's not fear and emotions, which is typically what those that have a different view of ours bring to the table, right? It sells papers, it's TV news, it's this, it's that, but it's not facts. It's not realism. You know, every time I read, you know, Wall Street Journal, I don't care which paper you pick, but global energy needs are expected to rise 25% over the next 25 years. Right. I mean, so yeah. if you eliminate. And so we're talking gas, about banning them. <laughs> yeah. And we're talking Something's about it. I mean, these, exactly. As energy needs are going to skyrocket, we're putting I mean, let's just use California. We're putting Californians in a dangerous position 
where supply may be unreliable and insufficient, right? It's going to cause energy prices to spike, but energy availability becomes unreliable and it threatens family safety in our economy. And that's, I don't say that as a scare tactic. I don't say that as using fear and emotion. I say it because I'm looking at the facts of the situation. It's cost and availability. And this is, you know, this is basic math. You know, A plus B still has to equal C, Russell, no matter where you are. That's exactly right. So I just saw something that came across my Google. Uh, somebody apparently has, has gone viral. They're making these little bumper stickers that people, they're not putting them on their cars. They're actually putting them on the gas pumps. And it's a picture of Biden. It points to the price of gas and it says, I did that. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) They say the thing has gone viral. And I guess you hit the nail on the head when the general public, you know, finally sees the reality of of all of this thing. And, you know, I used the word insanity a while ago, but the actual clinical definition of insanity, besides the one we all know about, you know, doing the same thing, expecting different results over and over again. But the clinical definition is actually the inability to deal with reality. Yeah. And, you know, I was reflecting on the workshop last week with the California Resources Board. And, you know, our simple message to them was you just need to set a technology neutral standard because you've got to consider the vehicle emissions. You've got to consider the what we call life cycle emissions, cradle to grave, so that you make sure that you've got sufficient greenhouse gas reductions. And mostly what happens on the electricity side is there's this false narrative out there that if you go electricity, emissions are zero. There's no discussion of what it takes to develop lithium for battery technology, right? There's no discussion about cobalt mining that takes place, you know, with child labor, right? To meet the needs of the electricity market. There's no discussion about the fact we don't have the rare earth minerals. All of that is left off the table as if that is all free and therefore the right technology we should choose. And so we emphasize, look at, just be fair and honest and open about what's before us. There is no energy that is free of anything, not traditional oil and gas, not electricity, not hydrogen, not even renewables. They all have things associated with them. As we know, wind obviously has issues with, you know, certainly wildlife. And it also certainly wildlife, at least that flies around the sky, right? And then solar certainly has issues with land. I mean, the amount of land it takes for solar habitat, all of those things. And of course, the wind doesn't blow all the time and the sun doesn't shine. And so we all the time. So we have to find alternatives. But let's have real conversations about all of that and say, look, we all understand these things are not easy. Everything has its issues. So what combination is going to take us from here to there in the most environmentally effective way, taking into effect affordability, reliability, so that everyone still can have a quality of life and, you know, put roofs over the head, feed their families, and hopefully have some disposable income to do anything else. And also just make sure we take care of the environment. That sounds like a tall order, but I can tell you, Our analysis is showing, and we presented it last week, I think it might fall on deaf ears, but there is definitely evidence that we can get from A to B better than what was being proposed by the state of California. 
And, you know, the reason we work with universities, Russell, is because, you know, we have to find credible parties because we frankly are dismissed in this state. No matter if we support everything we say, we are dismissed, which is also very, very, you want to talk unjust. I think that is extremely unjust to take the very industry who's going to get us out of this mess and dismiss anything we say. That's exactly right. We say that on this show all the time. The oil and gas industry is not the problem with the environment. The oil and gas industry is the solution. Yes. Well said. I couldn't send it better. You said it better than me, Russell. <laughs> well, <laughs> Kathy, let's keep saying it. Let's hope that, you know, I was encouraged by some comments. I said this on a previous podcast. I was talking to a company that, you know, was looking at the future of renewables and, and we talked about some of the headwinds that it faces. And of course, all you ever hear about is tailwinds, but there's a lot of headwinds, even as we mentioned just now. But I mentioned the fact I was I was happy to hear somebody like an Elon Musk, you know, he sells electric cars, but he says, hey, we still need, you know, we still need oil and gas cars too. You know, I mean, it's just, we're not there yet and it may never get there. And there's going to have to be some balance and some combination. And you're certainly doing the Lord's work. I wish you success. I hope you keep hanging in there. I hope the rest of us hang in there. I hope, as you said, the workers in the oil and gas industry, you know, the grassroots in this thing, I hope we all pull together and because we've got a, you know, still, even though some people are trying to get rid of it, we still have a political system in this country that can right some of these wrongs. And I think that may be one of the things we have to try to rally behind. But Kathy, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing some of these things and making us aware of them. Before we sign off here, do you have any other last words of wisdom for us? You know, I just think we need a sustainable energy future that works for everyone, Russell. And I will, and I know our industry will, and our members will, and thank you also for doing the same to keep up the fight because, you know, it's a fight worth having. I wish it didn't have to be a fight. I wish it could be just a inclusive conversation that, really brings energy realism to it. But it's a challenge. It is a challenge. I'll keep on, Russell, and I know you will too. All right. Well, thank you. And thanks again, Kathy, for coming on. As always, thanks to everybody for listening. Tune in again next week for another episode of Oil & Gas HSE Podcast, production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you use. Like us on LinkedIn and use all your social networking to tell your friends about us. And we'll see you next time. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.